Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. If you remember when we left off last week, we talked about the divine chastening that God does in one's life. (laughs) Heavy topic last week. Who likes to be divinely disciplined by God? It never, it is very clear that he's chastening you. It can be very uncomfortable as we see right there in verse 11. If you notice there, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. It's not joyful when God knows exactly where you need to change and to be in line with God's will and purpose. It is not comfortable. So if you're sitting there thinking, why was it making me feel all loved and goosebumps all the time? Because the divine chastening happens, you're going to be convicted. You're not going to feel comfortable. You're going to be squirming in your seats at home or here if you're reading the word of God and open to what God has for you. It's not going to be joyful for the moment, the writer says here. But painful. Oh, I mean, it's not just... Not joyful? You mean there's going to be some pain, potentially? Yes, when the Lord puts a spoon to your butt, you're going to feel it. It's just the way it is, because if you don't, you won't change for some of you. Look what else happens. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields fruit. What kind of fruit? Peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yes, you're in training. (laughs) We call it discipleship. We call it the sovereign work of God. Yes, you've been justified. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're going to heaven. Beautiful, wonderful, incredible. It's a miracle. But now the work has to be done. He wants to transform your life. And sometimes it's not joyful when that happens. (laughs) Sometimes it's painful when those things happen. But peace will come into your life that you've never experienced before. A peace that goes beyond your own understanding. And so we see this, that the writer here talks about the the healing that will take place in your life and will produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in one's life who has been trained by it. It's training. It's, again, he, the writer uses an athletic term here. It's, you're gonna, when you're training for something, for a race, you're going to have to put the miles in. You're going to have to stretch. You're going to have to work out. You're going to have to do what it's required. And you're going to have aches and pains and all kinds of things. But you cannot say, I, I feel don't. I don't feel good for my run yesterday. I, I, I'm just not going to run anymore. But I'm going to still run the race in the next two weeks. You're not going to do well. You're not going to do well. You may not even finish the race if you don't stay plugged in and working out. Training. It's a race that we're in. The question is how God's children respond to the divine chastening, the divine discipline that God brings upon our lives. How do you and I respond as children is really what matters. That's what the writer is going to get across here. He can, and you can, you and I can despise it. I despise God's discipline. I despise God's chastening in my life. I don't like correction. You can, you can be that person just like some of the Hebrew believers here. But not only can it be despise it, you can also be very, be very discouraged under it. Because both of them are wrong. Because we should be 
wanting God's perfect will in our lives. We want God to not give up on us, and he won't as a child of God. But we have that sense, we, okay, I'm saved, but don't let me live however I want to. That's just not how it works. God is going to do a work in you. And so being discouraged and despising your father's, heavenly father's correction is not right. Just like as an earthly father, if you're being corrected by your earthly father and you despise him for correction, you don't like, you reject what your father is trying to train you up to learn how to live rightly. It's wrong for you as a child to despise or be discouraged of what God, your father's trying to do in your life to help you to grow and mature as a young man or as a young lady. As a child, you're wrong. He should show, we should show reverence to the Father. We should, our Heavenly Father, we should show reverence, as we see in the Scriptures, by submitting to His will, to His ways. We saw that in verse 9. Using this correction as a way of growing spiritually here in verse 11 that we read. But also you can go back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 and 8. And see that also referenced through this training, through this correction. It helps us to grow spiritually. And then we see here in verse 12, we pick back up. Verse 12 and 13, it continues as the writer says. If you want spiritual renewal, do you want to grow spiritually? Then you need to be strong. You need to be right. You need to be bold. You need to be very careful. That is what the writer is going to show us at the rest of this part of the letter. Here in verse 12, he says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So we see here, if you're in a point where you're, you know, you're discouraged and God has chastened you, he's disciplining you, he's correcting you, he's telling you, you can't continue to live like this. It goes against my word. You can't, can't talk like that. It goes against my word. You can't have that attitude. It goes against my word. And he does things in your life and allows things in your life to shake your tree, as we will see the writer talks about. This is a good thing. Because we know if the Father does not discipline you, we know by the Scripture you should question if you're truly a child of God. One of the indicators if you're a born-again believer, a child of God, is you you will know when your Heavenly Father is chastening you. You will know, you contend you, you, through the word of God, you know that God is correcting you and is not going to allow you to continue to live in any of the sins that you're living in. He's not going to. If you're a child of God, he's not going to let you go. Even an earthly father, if he really loves your children, you would never let them go and do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it. That is not a loving father. So why do you think your heavenly father should just let your, take his hands off of you and not do what is right and good. He's a righteous, just, loving father. He's going to come after you. He's coming after you. Why? Because he loves you. That's why he saved you. 
He wants that relationship with you. And sin will cause a division in that relationship. And he ain't going to let that sin continue. As we see the, in the, the, the writer here, he says to these Jewish believers, almost like a coach, almost like a military officer or NCO that says, that says you know, I've exhausted everything possible to try to get your attention, to get you corrected, to understand what the mission is, understand where you need to go, where you need to change, because you need to be strong in this, this race. You need to be strong to be able to do what I've called you to do. You need to be strong. You need to renew spiritual renewal in your life to have that strength to be able to do what I'm going to call you to do even further. And we have to, have, well, he gave this exhaustive, exhaustive reasons why we need to be strong in the Lord and to put off discouragement. So now is the time to do it. You need to move on. You have to go past the discouragement. You have to go past these things and you need to have spiritual renewal in your life if you're going to be able to run this race that God has called you to do. But notice, at the very end of verse 13, it brings a healing. Healing from what? Well, you notice here the writer says, you're gonna, you, have, you have your hands that are weak. You can't even do what you need to do with the hands because they're so weak right now. You need to be spiritually renewed. Not only are your hands affected, notice your feeble knees. Your knees are so unsteady you can't even walk well. You need spiritual renewal to have strength in those knees to be able to walk. If you don't do that, you're not going to be able to walk straight. He says, the writer says, to walk straight paths with your feet. Right now, some of you are lame. You are very weak. You can barely walk. You can barely hold on to things. You're barely making it through day by day because you're so discouraged. You're so wrapped up in the things of this world. Your flesh is out of control. Whatever it may be. If you're not careful, you're going to go from this lame, okay, I can make it, I'll limp it through this day, I'll limp it through the next day, but I'm not willing to change. Let me give you the warning what the writer is telling the, these Jewish believers. Eventually, you're going to be dislocated. You're going to go from lame to be dislocated. Those knees and those hands and those feet become dislocated and you will not be able to function. Are you with me? This is what the writer's telling these Jewish believers who were looking to go away from walking away from what Jesus has done by the grace of God and go back into religion and go back into rules and regulations and do it their own way. And the writer's saying, you're going back in a, down the run. You're already lame. You're already quasi between following Jesus and following your own ways. You're lame. You're going to get dislocated. If you're not careful, this is what's going to happen. So you must stay focused because if you don't, dislocation. But if you do, and this is the encouragement, the writer says, and what the Holy Spirit says to us today, you can be healed. You can allow healing to take place in your life if you allow God and his discipline the change that he wants to make in your life. Understand that this can rather be healed. This can be spiritual renewal will bring this strength to be strong, to be renewed in your walk with him. 
The writer noted here spiritual weakness in his readers. He knew this. That's why he's writing to these uh, Jewish believers, to encourage them in this spiritual renewal, to be strong, to be back into the race, get back in the race. Don't walk away from the race. Don't think it's too tiring, it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too much. That is not too much if you will let God do the work in and through your life. Because if you're just following the law, then you're just like everyone else. You're trying to do it in your own efforts. If you're trying to lean on your own understanding, it's going to leave you weak, lame, possibly dislocated because you will be not continue to be in the race. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. This is not something new for some of you who've been walking with the Lord for more than six months. <laughs> Everyone knows. You think if you just got saved and you've been saved for six months, you think this is what it's all about. No, it gets better if you just keep walking and stay in the race. Allow God to make the changes in your life and apply it. Don't, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. So we need to be spiritually renewed. We need to be strong. You see, throughout the scriptures, to be strong and of good courage. It does take courage to walk this Christian life. The writer continues, and he gives us another spiritual renewal to be right here in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest anyone root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or, or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing... He was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Not only do we need to be a spiritual renewal in our lives so that we can be strong and stay in the race, doing what God's called us to do for him, for his glory, for his pleasure. But we also need spiritual renewal to be right, we need to be right in two ways, and we all know that as a Christian, we need to be right not only here, pursue peace with all people. We're called to be at peace with all people. All means what? <laughs> That's the hard part. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't have peace with all people. Because some people are not very peaceable type people. <laughs> But we're still called to be peaceable to them. The second is we holiness. We need to be holy. As a child of God, not only are we to have peace with all people, regardless of how they treat you, we also are to be holy. We, it's a relationship with God. How does that remind you? Back to Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, great, the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So we know what the scripture says. We are to love that, that, that peace with all people is talking about our relationship with other people. Be right with both men and women. We must be right. Pursue peace with them. You have a conflict, you have an issue with someone, your neighbor or not, or maybe a coworker, whatever it may be, you need to think, how can I live peaceably with that person? But they hate me. That, that, there's no qualification here. They hate you, you don't have to be peaceable with them. That's not, there's no qualification. That's you leaning on your own understanding. You still need to find ways that you are showing peace toward them. Not conflict. Not butting heads with them. If they want to butt heads with you, don't butt heads with them. Not only that, you need to show love to other people by showing peace, but we also have a holiness. That is our relationship with God. That is what we are to pursue, is that holiness, that relationship. Because discouragement in our lives and our walk makes us very sluggish. Very disconnected with other our personal relationships with people and our relationship with God. If you are discouraged and you're not willing to change, you're not willing to grow and, and be spiritually renewed, that's what's going to be a def- definition of your life. You're going to look at you and you're going to be spiritually sluggish. You're a sluggard. Lazy in your walk with God. And when that happens, when you become sluggish and you can take it or leave it kind of attitude, as we see in the scripture, it just means that you're lame. <laughs> that just means you're going to be, you're on the next verge of dislocated. And maybe some of us walking in could be dislocated right now. And that's why you're here, because God is going to heal you. Because you need to hear the message. You need to change. Oh, how easy it is. To become so sluggard about our relationship with God. Now you're not denying Jesus. You will immediately tell you I love Jesus. But your actions do not display truly what you're saying out of your mouth. Because you become sluggish and disconnected with personal relationships. And you become self-focused. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I have liberty, man. I've heard it all. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells you. You become very self-focused and unwilling to be spiritually renewed because that would require you to change. And that would get in my busy schedule. I've got plans. Big plans. I've got things to do. Places to go. People to see. And I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters. You can have all the plans you want. You can have all the goals and and life visions and everything else. But if it's not of God, it's not going anywhere. In fact, you'll become very, very discouraged. And you'll stop the spiritual growth. The spiritual renewal will not happen. And you'll become discouraged in your walk as a Christian. And eventually you're so lame, you stop walking because you're dislocated and you stop coming. You stop pursuing, reading the word of God, pursuing, getting around fellowship, praying. You you think you're praying. You only pray when you really, 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 really want something and you didn't get it yet. But you're not praying. See, these are the signs that I have to warn you of because we've all been down these and you want to know how to change that. You want that peace with people. 
versus always in conflict with people? Do you want to feel like you're growing and you're better, you're more holier today, meaning you're growing as spiritually than you were compared to last year or six months ago or even last week? See, these things is between you and the Lord. But the writer is trying to encourage these Hebrew believers, you're sluggish, you're, you, you've walked away from a, a focus and a dedication, dedicated life of Christ. You've gone back into the religiosity or going back into your own ways or the worldly ways or fleshly ways. And that is why you're having the troubles you're having in your life. That's why you're not experiencing the peace of God or the peace of God with other people. That's why you don't, your life doesn't reflect the, the words you say and your actions do not line up consistently with the word of God. That's what the writer's telling to tell them. And you can get back. You need to be strong. You need to be right with God. You need to come back to what God has called us to do. But he gives us a warning there. If you don't do these things, verse 15 looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And it doesn't just fall short of grace. What will happen in one's life is exactly what you see in verse 15 at the very end. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. By this, many become defiled. Many become defiled because of bitterness in one's life. And it's important that we do not lose focus and understanding of what the writer's saying here. Because if you become critically spirited and critically minded and very over, can be even religiosity, very legalistic because you're so dis discouraged and frustrated, you're trying to control everybody, even with the word of God, you're trying to control people. Be very careful because eventually it's a root of bitterness that will take place in your life, the writer says here. And that bitterness, if it takes root, it bears fruit in due time. And it's a bitter fruit. It's possible for the seed of bitterness to be sown within a community, within a congregation, within a family. And if it takes root, that bitterness... Nothing seems to be immediately that it is apparent there's bitterness. But it's only a matter of time it will bear fruit of bitterness in that relationship or relationships. It's only a matter of time. It will bear. And it will be inevitable will bear the fruit that is bitter. Because there's a law called you, what you, you, you sow you shall reap. It's only a matter of time. See, bitterness corrupts many. And bitterness is rooted in the sense of personal hurt. When someone is personally hurt, if that's not dealt with properly in that relationship, that person's life, they do not show grace and give over to grace, bitterness will take a root in that one's life and that will bring about and what will bring about a defilement or corruption within their life because of that. And many hold on to the bitterness with it's an amazing stubbornness that I've ever seen before. There can be a stubbornness, a stiff-neckedness in people because of bitterness. The unwillingness to change and forgive. But let me encourage you. 
What they must do, what you must do, is remember the grace of God is extended to you. God has shown you much grace as a child of God. He saved you. He has forgiven your sin. He has forgotten your sin. If you've been forgiven so much, now you turn in return, start extending that same grace toward others. Grace is loving the undeserving. You need to allow God to help you to love the undeserving. That's what it means to show grace. God showed you grace. You want to overcome bitterness in your life? Then you need to start showing grace. The grace of God is moving on. If you grab a hold of the grace of God and understand it, you'll move on past the pain and hurt of the past. We also must move on. The grace of God. If not, we see the writer says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. We must be right with God in regards to this moral conduct. We must not allow this, this, this corruption to happen in our lives. Remember that there are blessings reserved only for the pure in heart. They shall see God, Matthew 5.8. And, and the writer uses an interesting subject here for us to bring an example for us, Esau. Remember, Esau was the oldest. He was supposed to receive the blessings from his father. That, that's, that was the, that was the, um, uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? That is the, um, not model, hello. The custom, thank you, whoever said that. The custom of what in, in, in the oldest within the family should receive the blessing. The, the male, of course, in that day. But God had a plan to give it to his younger brother. Mom got involved. She stepped out of her bounds. They manipulated dad, stepped out of the bounds. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons. Still, the youngest got the blessing that God always intended why? Because we know in the scripture that Esau despised his birthright. Despised being a child, the number one child within that family. That's interesting, is it not? He, he literally, for his fleshly reasons, for his, to satisfy his flesh, fill in the blank. For him, he wanted food. He was willing to negotiate and throw, I don't care about my birthright. I want food. Give me food. But then he realized he lost his blessing because he followed his flesh and not the spirit. And guess what happened? He weeped and cried and asked for another blessing. Asked for it back, but it was too late by then. The writer's telling these believers, 
Be very careful if you follow the flesh and go back to the traditions of old religion and the old covenant and old ways and all these things that you want to feel like and you want to follow your fleshly needs and feel and look good and you want to go over here and be rich and famous and feel good and you want to go. Be very careful as a child of God. Because when you chase after the fleshly things, you lose out of the blessings of the spiritual things. Don't expect to be blessed if you're following and trying to satisfy the flesh. Even if you want to diligently then come back and say, oh God, I'm sorry. Oh, he'll take it. God will always receive and always bring back and always desire to forgiveness in regards to those who are truly repentant heart. This is not the question about forgiveness. It's about the fact that Esau could not come back to God because he can come back to God. He just can't get his blessing back that he missed out on because he chose not to let it go. There's so many opportunities, I believe, that we miss out on that God wanted to bless you as a child of God, but because we're so focused and pursuing the things of the flesh that we miss out on blessings that God wanted to pour out on, his, on you as a child. I don't even want to know how many blessings I might have missed out on because I just was so focused on wanting to do my own thing versus just seeking to please him every day and just be in his will and do whatever he's called us to do. Then we see not only do we need spiritual renewal and be strong and to be right, but God is calling us to be bold. We see here in verses 18 through 24, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched, touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Let's stop right there in verse 21. The writer brings the Old Testament back into view of the time at Mount Sinai. You all know the story. We see it in Exodus 19, verses 10 through 25. God brings his people to the Mount Sinai, and he's going to come down. He's going to speak to the people, but he's going to speak to the people by going through Moses and Moses only. And he tells Moses what to do. We know about the Ten Commandments. We, talk, we know we spent time with them. But the people at the base had very strict guidelines what they could and could not do. We know that it explains how Israel came to the side of the mountain. The mountain was then fenced off. God said to told Moses, fence it off. Don't let the people come onto this mountain. Don't let them touch the mountain because if they do, they're going to die. Also, he says, not only do you fence this off, no trespassing, but the Israelites were commanded to wash their clothes and abstain from sexual relations during this period of time. And then we see that the thunder and lightning and almost like a furnace-like 
um, uh, cloud came upon the place. The trumpet was pl- uh, sounded and was calling the nation to meet with God. But there was more smoke like a furnace and earthquakes and tremblings and everything. Else. That must have been an incredible sight for the people to be experiencing at the bottom of that mountain. It was so much that they said, we do not want to hear any word from God. I think he's going to toast us right here. And he would have. That's why he used Moses to be the one that spoke to them. You would think if you had that kind of experience where God shows up at your doorstep and there's thunder and lightning and shaking and a furnace and smoke and and you just, there's no question God has arrived. You would think that would change your life, wouldn't it? No. We see it in their lives. We see in the fact that the fear that they was so exceeding over they can even handle, you would think would promote a life of holiness. Surrendered life to God. But the people there, the Israelites at the base, not only did not change them to pursue holiness in their lives, To allow God to change their heart. Within 40 days of that experience that they saw and experienced, they started worshiping a golden calf. And they claimed the golden calf is who brought them out of Egypt. No different in our lives today. God can show up and speak and reveal himself in such a tremendous way, and I hope he does in your life. How many times I've seen that happen, and that individual, after experiencing God speak to their heart, and they, they just come broken. Within days, they choose to go follow an idol like a golden calf. And claim that that calf is what changed their life. Fill in the calf moment. It's a blank. Fill it in. What is it for you that God was trying to do a work in your life, but then you turned around and you claimed because you're so smart, your intellect, that's why your, your life is the way it is. I'm really strong. Have you seen me without a shirt on? No, you don't. You ever seen a person with a shirt that's why I'm who I am. I'm strong. Have you seen my bank account and my investments? You don't. But some rely on their investments and their money. And that's why they're so good. And that's why they're succeeding. Fill in the blank. But let me remind you, As a child of God, apart from him, you can do nothing. And when you realize that you you and I can be just like these Israelites after experiencing God's presence and speaking to our heart, that we could also walk away within days and follow our own ways. Danger. But notice in verse 22, the writer says, but... 
I love the change here. But you have come to Mount Zion. He's saying, you as believers, you as believers, you didn't go to Mount, you're not going to Mount Sinai anymore. That's the Old Testament. That's the law. You're not going there anymore. You're going to Mount Zion. That's where you come. And that's a completely different world. So why would you go back to Mount Sinai? No, no. You went to Mount Zion. You know Jesus. And it's a grace of God. You don't go back to the law. You don't go back to Mount Sinai. There's a difference. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and, the, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of a just man made perfect. Verse 24, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We're in a very different place than the, than the tribe of Israel who were following the law and doing what God said at that point. We're under the new covenant, under grace, not under law. So we don't go back to the old traditional religious law-driven ways of do, 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 do. It is about grace. It's already been done. It's finished work by Jesus, our Savior, who now mediates and intercedes for you and I to the Heavenly Father. But let me give you comparisons between the two so it makes it very clear why you don't want to go to the law, why you don't go back to the old ways, why do you, you continue to come to the Mount Zion. Why? Because Mount Zion is the name of the hill which Jerusalem sits and the difference and consider the, the contrast between these two. Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror of the people. But Mount Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. We come to God because of love and forgiveness, not out of fear and terror of a God. Mount Zion is in the desert. It's dry. It's barren. Mount Zion is in the city of the living God, it says. Mount Zion spoke of earthly things, but Mount Zion speaks of heavenly things. At Mount Zion, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. But Mount Zion, but Mount Zion, it was an innumerable company, and General Assembly was invited to draw near. Mount Sinai was characterized by guilty men in fear. But Mount Zion features just men perfect, made perfect. Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator. At Mount Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Mount Sinai brings an old covenant, which was only ratified by the blood of animals. Mount Zion brings a new covenant, which is ratified by the blood of God's precious Son for you and I. Mount Sinai was all about exclusion, keeping people away from the mountain, just enough to far enough to see but not touch. Mount Zion is all about an invitation and receiving God's touch directly.
Mount Sinai is all about law. Mount Zion is all about grace. See, the lesson that the writer's writing to these believers is very clear. Very clear what the decision they're making about going from Mount Zion and going back to Mount Sinai religiosity. He says, don't do it. We shouldn't come to Mount Zion as if we were coming to Mount Sinai. We must put away our hesitation and boldly come to God because we can now enter boldly into the throne of God. Because Jesus, our Savior, made a way for us to be able to do that. Our new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And the writer's telling him, don't go back to the old covenant. Do not go back and consider going back and preferring that religiosity at Mount Sinai because that is not what God has for you. That blood of Abel did not wipe away sin. It was a temporary covering. But Jesus' blood Washes you white as snow. Completely clean. Forever. Yes, the blood of Abel was the very first recording sacrifice from man to God in the Bible. But it's the blood of Jesus that speaks of better things. In verses 25 through 29, we're going to see a spiritual renewal of being careful. What are we being careful for or of? It says right here, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse God who speaks in your life by the word of God. For they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from from heaven. We see here in verses 25 that uh, if we refuse spiritual renewal to be strong, to be right, to be bold, and to be careful, then we should not be ignorant of the consequences that will happen in our lives as children of God, there's going to be divine consequences or divine discipline or divine chastening that we talk about. It's going to come. Don't be ignorant. Don't be surprised by these things. But there are consequences for rebelling at Mount Sinai. And there should even be a greater consequences in resisting God's greater work at Mount Zion. As a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have a helper that God has sent to you. The Heavenly Father sent you a helper to live within you to help you to live a life of grace. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. Remember, God's voice would shake the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Catch this here. 
These last few verses of this part of this letter, he's talking about, yes, I was shaking the mountain on this earth. But there's going to be a time in a new millennium, a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a time where I will shake not only the earth, but I will shake even heaven. A new kingdom is coming. God is shaking the present order. And these Jewish Christians felt him shaking their lives through circumstances, through situations, through pressure. God is shaking their lives so that they do not walk away from him. Because we are prone to put our trust in things that are not trustworthy. God shakes our world. And as he shook Mount Sinai in order to knock away and remove anything we are trusting in and living for. See, year after year, you continue to rely on, trust in, the thing, the person, the place, the organization. You've been been absolutely trusting in those things, but you're not trusting in him. You will grow, you, I should say, you will not grow spiritually. You won't grow spiritually. Because if you're not trusting in God in all things, you're not growing. So God will shake things up to remove it that you might again Learn to lean on him for all things. Looking to him. Walking once again with him and asking him what he wants you to do. Then you will experience spiritual renewal. You'll start experiencing the spiritual growth in your life because now you're no longer trusting in your own selves and you're leaning on your own understanding or trusting in that person or trusting in this organization. You are now purely trusting him for your life. And when that happens, the spiritual renewal will be a blessing. It will be a strength to you. It will heal you and ready you for eternity. Are you ready for God's return for you? Are you ready to go to heaven? Because there's going to be a time he's not going to just shake the earth. The scripture says he's going to shake the earth and the heavens. Things are going to change here soon. And the ultimate remaking of the heavens and the earth which will follow in the millennial kingdom, this kingdom that remains after this cataclysmic event is, will be for eternity. And that's why he says in verse 28 and 29, he says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This is, I think there's a really very incredible verses here. All of these things, these writers trying to encourage these believers, these Jewish believers, you got to spiritually grow. You need to have a spiritual renewal. You need to get your focus back here and be strong. Stop being so weak in the faith. Be strong in the faith. Don't be doing your own thing. Be, be right with God and, with, and, and peaceable with other people. 
You need to rethink of how you're living your life here. Be right. You need to be bold. This is not going to be for weak people. This, this is going to take boldness. You're going to have to take steps of faith that you never did before. But you've got to watch out. You've got to watch out because if you're not careful, you've got to be careful. If you're not, you're going to lose out on the blessing. Therefore, as this new kingdom we talk about, it's not going to be shaken. It's going to be permanent. It's eternal. And that's why he says right to them at the very end here, let us have grace. Now, even though it takes some shaking to get us there, God's going to shake our lives, and bring circumstances, issues, and problems in our lives in some ways and to get our attention back on him and trusting him. That's going to happen. But when that happens, we eventually receive a kingdom in the south which will never be shaken. It will be so solid, so stable. That we will be able to serve God acceptably. As you serve God, it will be accepted. It will be pleasing to God. Now some... In the church world today would say, wrongly, would wrongly argue that too much grace gives license and produces disrespect toward God. That they shouldn't have so much grace and leeway to live their lives. That's wrong. Because you can go back to this verse right here. Because actually grace says right here by which gives us reverence and godly fear to serve God. Some people think too much grace is not a good thing, but I say right here based on the scripture that grace gives you and I not license to sin, but actually walk in grace all the more. God's grace, if you really understood God's grace, it will drive you to be more reverent and godly fear, a healthy fear of God, that he is all-present, all-knowing, and he is not letting nothing slides past him. Not out of fear of the law, not because you didn't do all the checklists and do's and don'ts, because of the fact that you're in awe of love for the Creator and the Savior of the world. See, the author of this letter addressed to Jewish believers had a tendency to lean on their religious traditions to think they're right with God. They rely upon their priests to make them right with God. That's what they rely upon. They relied upon their sacrifices that they did occasionally or daily for God. That's what's making me right with God. But what happens if you didn't make the sacrifice? Uh Uh-oh. If I didn't go to the priest and ask him to intercede for me? Uh Uh-oh. If I didn't follow the traditions of that religion to the T? Uh Uh-oh. You become unstable and unsolid in your walk with God because you can't meet all the requirements. You missed the opportunities. Now what do I do? But when you're based upon the finished work of the cross, the new covenant, 
you're filled with grace. That you're, you never stop knowing that your heavenly Father loves you. That's what grace does. Even when we fail, it doesn't change the fact that you know that your heavenly Father loves you based on not your performance, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. That gives us that assurity of our Heavenly Father's love. That, my brothers and sisters, I need you to meditate on and ponder daily. Do you hear me? I need you to focus more on the fact that God loves you because of your son died for you. And the fact that his son, Jesus Christ, your savior, your mediator, is interceding for you. And that soon he's coming back for you. That I need you to ponder on, especially when you're having discouraging days. That is what I need you to meditate on, that truth. Because our God is a consuming fire. And when you hear that, if you're a child of God and you're relying upon the grace of God, that consuming firing is very comforting for you as a believer. It's very comforting. Because you know that he is going to get rid of things that are not good in your life. He's good by his piercing look, his piercing, his, his presence is just going to remove the things that is not pleasing to God out of your life. He's going to remove it. He'll shine light in anything in your life, regardless of how deep and dark that closet you have it. God is going to bring light to that that doesn't please him and bring it out and get rid of it. Because you understand that your heavenly father poured out his consuming fire of judgment on his son and not you. Did you hear me? Our heavenly father poured out his consuming fire of judgment on a son in our place. And when he did, it completely consumed the guilt of sin in all who believe in Jesus. The penalty of sin was consumed in Jesus at the cross. Do you believe that? Oh, I hope you do. As a child of God, you, you and I can get really discouraged in our walk when we think it's based on our own performance. We get very discouraged. We can feel a weight. And I want to encourage you, brother and sister, that it's God's consuming fire that was poured out on his son Jesus instead of your life. He loves you. And he wants that relationship with you. He consumed it all. And then because of the fact that the penalty of sin was consumed in Jesus at the cross... That is grace that allows us now to freely serve him with reverence and godly fear, as we see here at the end of verse 28. 
Our God indeed is a consuming fire who will consume anything that distracts you and I from our relationship and dependency upon him. That is a good thing. That our Heavenly Father will consume, will remove, will get rid of in your life as a child of God anything that will distract or cause a dependency on that thing versus him. He will remove that person. He will remove that thing, that organization, that attitude, that you name it. He will consume it. It's only a matter of time he will because he's doing a sovereign work in you. And once he starts that work, he is faithful to what? To finish that work in your life. May today be, if it's been a tough, dry desert, Mount Sinai desert in your life, come to Mount Zion. Start based on grace. Start today, moving forward. The past is the past. The grace has moved on. Grace has moved on past the, past the pain, the suffering, all the things that are in the past. The grace takes past all that, leaves it from the past, and now moves on this day forward. Amen? Allow that, re that spiritual renewal to take place.